Jude. If you're in chapter 1, you're in the right chapter. Um, I really like the book of Jude. I did a verse-by-verse study through it and really uh, really dug in and uh, a lot of word studies, um, seeing what was going on in the book of Jude. And it was very um, kind of eye-opening in some ways. I want to touch on something uh, as I was reading it, uh, reading over it a little bit uh, recently. And a couple of things were leaping out at me uh, in light of some things that are going on um, culturally today. Um, you know, June has been deemed, you know, Pride Month. Uh, a few years back, I did a, a blog article on a biblical perspective of, of Pride Month. And, um, and it's interesting, I actually got a, uh, an email from a guy who struggled with, he was a Christian who struggled with same-sex attraction. And uh, we actually went back and forth for a while. Um, it was very friendly and very, you know, he's a very humble guy and, and really wanted to honor the Lord and uh, had not acted on his, you know, his struggle, you know, on his uh, desires. But uh, it was really neat just seeing somebody who was desiring to honor God, though he had this, as we just sung from Hebrews, a besetting sin. And, uh, and I was really encouraged with that. You know, there's a lot of people out there that, that deem them, according to Romans 1, completely reprobate, and there's no opportunity for them to be saved when you've gone down that path. And uh, I will say this, uh, you're per, you know, that's definitely one of the steps down a path to be completely reprobate, but, uh, but I, I'm not one to decide if someone <laughs> is redeemable or not redeemable. Deemable. I believe God died for all, Christ died for all, and, uh, and anyone that uh, comes to him can be saved. But, uh, but anyways, what we're seeing these days is, uh, how many of you are familiar with the, these progressive churches or progressive pastors? Um, I, I just can't stand that title anymore. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, clergy uh, people, they'll have uh, those uh, little scarves that they kind of have around their neck, and they're all wearing these rainbow ones in these uh, these churches. And they're making all kinds of crazy statements about Jesus endorsing homosexuality. I saw one today about uh, about God, about how the title of the clip was Drag is Holy. Drag is Holy. And they try to make this leap that when God, when Jesus came to earth, God in the flesh, he basically put on drag. Because that's not his nature. I was like, "Wow, that is a stretch," <laughs> you know. But um, but anyways, uh, I believe Jude is addressing some of these things, and uh, I want to look at that. I think it's a warning to us in some areas, and so we're going to start in verse number three. And he says, um, "Jude, uh, who is uh, who is uh, one of the the half brother, if you would, of Jesus Christ." Um, here's what it says in verse number three, beloved. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, now it's interesting about that statement, the common salvation, um, I believe, uh, you know, contextually and what was going on at the time of this writing, uh, I believe what Jude is talking about there, the, the salvation that is common to both Jews and Gentiles. That was the struggle early on. You know, are Jews a part of the same thing that we have as, are the Gentiles rather part of the same thing we have going on as the Jews? And he says, I'm going to write to you about this common salvation but, uh, but here's what it says, but it was needful for me to write unto you. I believe what he's saying there is, is the Holy Spirit led me in another direction, that this was more important, this was more urgent. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And let's have a, a word of prayer as we dive into this. Lord, I pray that you would help us this evening as we look to your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, as in all things, Lord, that we'd have the Christ-like attitude, uh, that we would not fall for the trap uh, while desiring to earnestly contend for the faith. I pray that we would not fall into the trap to contentiously contend for the faith. 
But, Lord, that we would uh, uh, be salt and light in this world, that our speech would be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that we know how to answer every man. And, um, and Lord, would you uh, help us tonight as we consider some of these truths, some of these warnings from uh, your word tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's interesting what he says here. He says uh, uh, he wanted to exhort or encourage these believers. He says that you would earnestly, wholeheartedly, passionately, earnestly uh, 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 contend for the faith. Now, what does contend mean? What does it mean to contend for something? If you have contenders, what is that? I'm sorry? Yeah, it's like a fight or like a struggle, right? We're contending for it. And, and can I just say that since... Since the, the canon of Scripture was complete, and I'd say even for, earlier before that, disciples have always had to contend for the faith. Uh, Peter said it this way, that, that, you know, he said, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man uh, that asks the hope that it lieth in you with meekness and fear. Being ready always. Why? Because we need to have a defense. We need to be able to, to, to contend. I think, uh, I think we've made a huge mistake and I say we, I think many of our churches, good solid churches, we've made a huge mistake in, in telling people what we believe without teaching them why we believe what we believe. We don't know how to defend what we believe. We don't know how to contend for the faith. And, um, and why is this so important? Well, I think we see it even in our culture today. Uh, I saw different polls talking about, I saw one just recently that uh, 40% of senior pastors um, uh, actually believe the, the basic fundamental tenets of the faith. They had a, um, uh, it, was a it was one of the, the Barnum polls, and, it, and they basically had a list of criteria of what they were talking about, you know, the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, some of the basic uh, tenets of biblical, you know, the Christian faith that, that has been established for many years. And, uh, and we shouldn't be surprised about that. We've seen a lot of polls, you know, about, you know, some 70% of Christians believe that there's a heaven but no hell. Uh, believe there are angels but no demons. You know, they'll have these different comparative polls, and it's interesting how we love to have the one but not the other. And um, but uh, but there really is, if you would, uh, a compromise and a departure because what we've done is we've mixed we've mixed Christianity with cultural humanism. It's uh, it's what we've deemed in our own judgment to be to be right or to be fair. We've seen too much. Uh, uh, TV and CNN and you know kind of what <laughs> what people are saying is is right or morality and those kinds of things and and um, uh, and and traditional values that you know we we say in America that that our country was founded with Judeo-Christian values. What are we saying? We're saying we've established our basic principles from the scriptures, from the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me, and that is true. And and that's why you know traditional American values have been so targeted. And, uh, and there's such a push to really um, uh, attack America as founded. And so we go after these, you know, these different values and things, trying to, to erode those. Well, what is, what is at the heart of that? It's an attack on God. I'm not saying that America is inherently godly. What I'm saying is, uh, is we're going against the way that God has established things. We're going against the way that God has given a formula, if you would, for his blessing. So when he says, I, I want to encourage you and exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. By the way, that's an interesting phrase, once delivered unto the saints. How many times was the faith delivered? I just read it. 
Once, once delivered, you know, there was no new revelation by Joe Smith. There was no, you know, angelic vision. There's no modern day prophets. No, no, the, 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 the faith, the body of doctrine was once delivered. The canon is closed. The, the, the scriptures are complete. The revelation is done. God has given us what he wants us to have. This faith has been once delivered. Now it's our job to defend it, not to change it, not to twist it. Well, you know, uh, we need to treat the Bible like a living document and it needs to change the times. You know, it's very archaic. If we just kind of stick to the traditional reading of Scripture, you hear a lot of that today. And um, and so, so here's what it says. Four, here's the reason. There are certain men crept in unawares. Crept in where? Crept in in what way? Crept in in a way to where they're actually influencing this thing that we call the faith. This faith that was once delivered to the saints. They've crept in. And so you could say into churches, into, into uh, an influential realm where, where, where people of the faith are being influenced. It says there are certain people that have crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. We're going talk about this condemnation in a second. Ungodly men, get this key phrase now, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody want to try to define lasciviousness for me? What does it mean to, to uh, live a lascivious lifestyle or a lascivious living? Let's take a stab at it. Lasciviousness is the idea that I am, I'm fully given over to my fleshly desires. I'm, I'm living out my lust, if you would, my, 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 my desires here. And so if we turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, what are we doing? We're taking God's grace... And, and, and really dragging us through the mud. We're saying, we're saying, because I'm saved or because of God's grace, I can just live however I want. I can, I can do these things. We talked a few weeks back. Um, in, uh, uh, we went to uh, Psalm 19 where he talks about, uh, um, David said, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins. Presuming upon God's goodness. Presuming upon God's, uh, God's grace. And, uh, and just living, in, living, living it out. And so here's the idea. Well, well, I'm saved, and uh, you know God's forgiven me, and so I can just kind of go and do whatever I want, live however I want, you see. And, uh, and so that's what these people are doing. They're doing that, and then denying the only Lord God. You know, well, do you really think there's only one way? There can't possibly be just one way. You mean, you know, you're so arrogant to think that you have the corner on truth. You think that there's, you see, we have these things. Well, this is just one of many ways. Um, I saw this, uh, I think I actually shared it on my Facebook page. If you want to get, I mean, I, I literally got sick to my stomach when I listened to this, this, this humanist prayer, basically. Um, and they taught, they were praying to uh, God as a, a non-binary something rather. And uh, and the the son that was birthed by them, the Godhead, it was like this really weird thing, and and um, uh, it was it was really disgusting, is what it was. But but you think of these people, and they and they 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 have this concept that well, they can't possibly be one way, you know, that every religion or every faith group, if you would, are a separate avenue towards whatever God is. And what it does is it puts God into this mystical thing that he is really unreachable. And, uh, and what it does is it turns st uh, people like Jesus, quite frankly, into a liar. I often say this, if there is more than one way, then Jesus can't possibly be one of the way because he claimed exclusivity. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if there's more than one way, Jesus can't be one of the ways because he's a liar. You see what I'm saying? And... Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I remember I was witnessing to a Muslim one time, and, uh, and he said, well, you know, I, I think that, you know, your God and my God are the same God. And I said, that's very interesting because neither your book nor my book teach that. So I don't know where you got that from. What he got it from was a, was a hybrid of, of humanism and his version of what it is that he's pursuing. And let me just say, that's what's happening in Christianity on incredible scales today because we, are, we, we don't want to give in, or because we're giving in, rather. We don't, want to, we don't want to stand. We don't want to contest or contend for the faith, rather. Um, it's a lot easier to just kind of backpedal and just compromise a little bit. And, uh, and so, so that's what they're doing. They're denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that a lot in 1 John about the spirit of Antichrist denies that Jesus Christ or the Christ has come in the flesh, that, that the Savior has come. And so let's get into this. He says, verse number 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance. I'm going to remind you of some things. Remember in verse 4 he says, uh, they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. There is a condemnation attached to this thing of leading folks astray of leading uh, other people, and, and I believe the context here is showing us believers. He's saying believers strengthen so you can contend for the faith as opposed to those who are being led astray from the faith. So that's the target. The Bible has much to say about the simple, the simple being led astray or the simple being uh, deceived, uh, um, baby Christians and so forth uh, who can be led astray. And so he says this, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you of some things. Consider their end. Consider where they are heading. And it says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. In other words, he says, this was before you. This was a motivation before you. You, you maybe have forgotten this thing. He says, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Now, that's a very interesting thing that he brings to the point. He's going to bring three different illustrations and examples of people being destroyed. Now, a bunch of people came out of Egypt, correct? Yes. Are we, are we awake tonight? I know it's a little warm in here. A bunch of people came out of Egypt. Okay. If I'm losing you guys, I'm going to start over. <laughs> a bunch of people came out of Egypt. But, but, uh, but, but notice what it says. But then afterwards, after God delivered them, what did he do? He turned around and destroyed them that believed not. There was a condemnation or there was a judgment for the fact that though God showed many signs and wonders and so though God took care of them, they did not believe. There were all kinds of judgments in the wilderness. Um, I think about the, the day when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and 3,000 were killed. I think about times when they got hit with plagues and I think about, uh, I think about uh, what kept them. By the way, I answer this question. What kept them from going into the promised land, the first generation? I'm sorry? disobedience, but how is it displayed? Or what led to the disobedience, I guess you could say? It was their unbelief. It was their unbelief. Hebrews uh, 3 and 4 talks about that, uh, the beginning part of uh, chapter 4. And it says that we, it's like a warning that we should fear lest we follow the same pattern of unbelief and, uh, and so forth. And so, so as he say, he says they were of the group, they were a part of the group, but with many of them, they got destroyed. Why? Because they believed not. And can I say this? Just because you are in church, or just because you're around believers, or just because you've experienced, in a sense, the blessings of God, does not mean you believe. Does not mean that you're, you know, oh, I'm good. You know, my grandfather built this church. <laughs> you know, that kind of, those kind of statements. You know, uh, it's amazing. Uh, sometimes I'll talk to people, and I'll ask them, you know, hey, are you 100% sure that you're going to that you're going to heaven when you die? Or do you know do you know that Jesus died for your sins? Have you received him as your Savior? You know, many different ways of asking the same question. But um, 
But it's interesting, sometimes you'll hear things like, like this. Oh, I know that I'm saved because one time I was in a really bad car wreck and, uh, and I was going to die. And, uh, and God, you know, and then the ambulance showed up and they revived me or what, whatnot. And, and they'll point to a time where like their life was miraculously saved or, or it'll be kind of something, um, uh, earthly, I guess you could say something in this life. Hey, that's wonderful. You were saved from your physical death, but what about your eternal death? Right. And, uh, but they'll point to those kind of things, hold on to it. Well, I'm good because I've experienced, I can say it this way, a measure of God's favor. The Bible tells us that God is good even to the ungodly, even to the wicked. You know, the fact that we're still alive, that God does not immediately pour out his wrath against us when we, uh, when we turn from him or when we are rebellious against him, the Bible tells us the long-suffering of God is our salvation. If, uh, if, if we got what we deserve, the moment we deserved it, none of us would have a chance to get saved. You see, and so, so you know, just, you know, I can see some of these uh, these uh, Hebrews coming in into the the wilderness, and they say, "Well, we're all part of the ones that God God brought through, and so we're good." Well, that's interesting. It says in First uh, Corinthians, I believe it was First Corinthians, with many of them, God was not pleased. With many of them, the church in the wilderness, God was not pleased. That's a very interesting statement, right? We call them the children of Israel. We call them the children of God, if you would, or the, cho- the God's chosen people. We have all these phrases for them. And yet it said, but with many of them, God was not pleased. So they came out of, the, out of Egypt, but yet afterwards God destroyed them that believed not. Look at verse number 6. We're in Jude. Verse 6 gives the next example. And the angels. Now keep in mind, we're talking about those that, have, that creep in that have turned the grace of God to lasciviousness, that are getting us to deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Getting us to deny, if I can say it this way, the narrow view of the faith as opposed to this eclectic, uh, all-inclusive view of the faith. Okay, And so, uh, but let me just say, that's the battle today, right? And then we get down to even like on a personal level, because, because I know Derek, and Derek is a really nice guy, even though he's an atheist, I, I, he's just a really nice guy. And I just can't see someone like Derek going to hell. You see? And these are the arguments. We start saying, uh, by the way, I don't, I don't believe Derek's an atheist. I think he's shown some evidence of his salvation. Some. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 but you see what I'm saying? I've got this, you know, uh, people will say that, you know, I used to think that it wasn't God's will or it was against God's will uh, to be involved in a same-sex relationship until I had a family member that was... You see, and all of a sudden everything changed because, well, my heartstrings or my, my, you see what I'm saying? But can I just say this? I, I like what, um, I don't believe in his theology, but I like what, uh, what, uh, um, what is his name? That uh, Jewish talk show guy. No. Ben Shapiro. Thank you. Ben Shapiro. I like what he says. Facts don't care about your feelings. Same thing with theology and same thing with God's truth. You know, just because sometimes God's truth rubs us the wrong way. But let God be true and every man a liar. You see, God is still true. And it's our job to come into agreement with Him and not the other way around. Well, God, don't you realize times have changed and we're so smart these days? Uh, Romans 1 tells us that professing themselves wise, they became fools. I find it kind of interesting, you know, um, uh, when you talk about evolution. Do you know what, uh, what stage in evolution mankind is right now? What we call ourselves? You know, you have, you have the different uh, evolution stages of basically what man was. And when I was in school, we were Homo sapiens. You know what we are now? Homo sapiens sapiens. 
You know what sapien means? Wise. Homo means one. We are wise ones, but now we're wise, wise ones. We've evolved a little bit further, and now we're calling ourselves that much more wise. Isn't that kind of interesting? Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools, right? And so, so we have this warning. Be careful about following these guys. Why? Because, hey, remember the children of Israel. That, that, that God destroyed them even after he showed such goodness and such kindness to them. Because uh, this, what, what, this is the answer to those that are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Verse number six. The angels which kept not their first estate. The word there for estate is like the word for a house, their dwelling place, the place where they lived. They, they lost their house. They got evicted. Who are these angels that got evicted? It says they left their own habitation and hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. What in the world are we talking about right here? Who are these angels that lost their first estate? Demons. Demons. We might call them fallen angels, right? These were those that rebelled against God. What did God do? He evicted them, okay? And he gave them a new house. Uh, it's a prison. And, uh, and, he, and he sent them there and until the great day. And this reminds us that there is coming a judgment. There is going to be a day of judgment, by the way. The lost are going to be judged, and the, the devil and his angels are going to be judged. That's interesting. Remember when the, the maniac Gadara fell at his face before, a, before Jesus, full of a legion of demons? And he said to Jesus, Art thou come to torment us before the time? What time? They knew there was a judgment coming. You see, and these angels are going to face that judgment. So they had a wonderful, they had a very privileged position. Children of Israel had a very privileged position. God rescued them out of Egypt. These angels had a very privileged position. They got to be the angels of heaven and serve God forever and ever and ever. And they rebelled against that wonderful heavenly state. And they are reserved, uh, have a day of judgment. Verse number seven, the third example. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So what's the example? What happened? How was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? Fire and brimstone, right? What is the everlasting fire going to be like? Fire and brimstone. It became a living illustration and, and says, you all know the warning of Sodom and Gomorrah. You all know the story there. In fact, Sodom and Gomorrah was so wicked that God couldn't even find 10 just people. Because he promised, if I find 10 just people, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he couldn't find 10. So he rescued, and uh, it's amazing that Peter calls him this, just Lot. He rescued just Lot. And day after day, he vexed his righteous soul living among those people. Um, but, uh, but we have these three examples of People now think about Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is interesting. Turn with me if you would. Uh, let me look this up. I, I thought I had this in my in my margins here. Um, no, not Genesis. I want to. It's a commentary on um, on Sodom and Gomorrah. Here it talks about them giving over to fornication and going after strange flesh. The word there, strange flesh, is that you have unnatural flesh. Okay. By the way, the amazing thing. It's amazing to me that uh, that. Uh, people that are staunch atheists are also the ones that endorse the homosexual lifestyle, which goes against science <laughs> and nature. You can't reproduce, right? That's what it says in Romans 1. Uh, it's, uh, uh, um, um, it says doing the things that are not convenient. The, the word there for convenient is that it means it doesn't produce fruit. 
And um, uh, anyways, um, I want to show you something. Let me look it up real quick. I believe it's Ezekiel. Um, yes, Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16 and verse number uh, 49. So when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, oftentimes we talk about their how they were given over to homosexuality and those things. But this is really interesting. I want you to see this. Because we're talking about Israel, and they were in a very blessed position. And we talk about those angels in a very blessed position. Look at Ezekiel uh, 16. And it's interesting, it's, it's convicting as we're coming upon even our own Independence Day as a nation. Look at Ezekiel 16 and verse number, um, uh, we'll start in verse 49. It says this, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Let's pause right there. The iniquity of thy sister Sodom. You ask, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And many of us would say, well, they were wholly given over to, to sodomy. That's why, you know, uh, the, to, to, to this homosexual lifestyle. But notice what it says here in Ezekiel. It says, this was thy, the sin, the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, first on the list. And that's kind of interesting, right? It's Pride Month. Pride was the first iniquity. Okay? Fullness of bread. Let's just think about this for a minute. What does it mean to have fullness of bread? What is a great sign of a successful country versus a struggling country? If they can eat. Yeah, <laughs> big bellies, right? Fullness of bread, right? We throw away so much food in America. We, uh, if, if the stores shut down tomorrow, I'm pretty sure most of us would do okay. We have enough in our refrigerators, enough in our cupboards that I think we would do good for a while. When was the last time you've actually prayed, Lord, give me this day my daily bread? Because I'm not concerned about my daily bread. The biggest concern I might have is, what do I really want to eat? Not, am I going to eat? Right? My biggest problem is I open the cupboards and I see a lot of ingredients, but I don't see any pizza. It's like, I got to put something together here. I got to make it work, right? Think about this, the fullness of bread. So, so, so that's a sign of success or abundance, right? They had pride, fullness of bread, uh, abundance of idleness. You guys remember what happened during uh, COVID and everything shut down? And things started opening up again. What was the biggest struggle in America? And it's weird, across the board. Nobody wanted to go back to work. We love this abundance of idleness. And what's happening from that? Uh, you know, <laughs> I know I know it's the annoying thing that the parents say, but uh, uh, idleness is what? The devil's workshop, right? You know, got nothing to do, and so you're going to find some trouble to get into. You know, uh, you know it's bad. <laughs> it's it's good for your kids to keep them super busy, right? They don't have trouble time to get into trouble. My uh, my kids are complaining. They just got back from teen camp, and they're complaining they don't really have any free time. And they had all these verses they had to memorize and things. And they said, as soon as I start to sit down and start memorizing, they they make another noise, and you got to go somewhere. You got and they're all like cattle, moving this way or moving that way. And I said, good. No one got into trouble. <laughs> they stayed super busy. Idleness, abundance of idleness. Can I tell you, third world countries that do not know where the next meal is coming from, they don't have an abundance of bread. Do you know they're not struggling with this whole gender identity? 
they're not struggling if maybe I was born a girl, or, you know, or maybe I was born the wrong, the wrong sex, and you know, they're not struggling with that. They're not struggling with all these weird woke issues that we're dealing with today. They're not making everything about racism. Why? They're trying to figure out where the next meal's coming from. It's survival for them, you see. And so what's happening? We have this abundance of idleness. Our bills are paid, and uh, you know, and, and and you know, you may argue, well, I'm not living high off the hog. You're doing pretty well, you know, compared to the rest of the world. You're doing pretty well. Uh, it would not kill me to take a day off of work. That means I'm doing pretty well. You see what I'm saying? And and so, so so notice this now. Abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. What does that tell me? Very self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. It's all about my desires, my wants. They were haughty. That's a that's a that's a near kin to pride. It's a, it's kind of uh, it's 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 an attitude, uh, 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 an arrogance, if you would, about it. They were haughty, and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. God said. It's interesting. The very last thing he lists is the only thing we remember about Sodom and Gomorrah. But can I tell you, that's kind of the last step in the in the in the degradation when we see when we see uh, Romans one. That's kind of the last step. You start falling into these abominations, these these sensual sins. Why? Because everything else has led to that, right? And uh, you know, I've got this idleness. I'm allowing my mind and my thoughts to run wild. And and what happens? So so I want to say this about the city of Sodom. Before God took them away, they were a very successful nation. They were a very successful society. They had an abundance. They had, they had wealth. Um, what do you think drove Lot there in the first place? I mean, it was the world. It was, uh, it was all the lights and all the, all the things. You know, the, we would say all the, you know, all the, all the, all the bells and whistles that might attract us somewhere, right? That's what Sodom ha- had to offer. And so we find Lot. He stayed there way longer than he wanted to stay. Lot is a great example of the old uh, the old saying: "Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay." That was Lot's testimony. I mean, it cost him everything. And by the way, we're still having struggles in the Middle East because of Lot and the and the uh, incestuous relationship he had with his daughters. But anyways, we have the same scenario with all three of these examples. Just because you seem blessed or just because you seem like you're okay, you're in the right crowd or you're, you know, those kind of things doesn't mean you're not going to fall for this. And, and we're going back to these people that have crept in unawares. And what are they doing? They're going to pull people to fall into their condemnation. There's a condemnation for these people. And he says, if we're not careful, we're going to get pulled, pulled away. So you might think, you might say this, well, wait a minute, I'm saved. So how can I get this kind of a judgment? And here's the real, here's the big warning. If you are saved and you get pulled into this, hey, you may be eternally saved, but let me just say this. You are not going to be free from a measure of the condemnation. And here's what I mean by that. Of course, we can talk about the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible talks about loss of rewards. We talked a couple weeks ago from 1 John about the sin unto death, but I want to say this. Probably more painful than any of those is this. When you fall into that and you begin denying the true faith, you may get to heaven, but your children are going to be condemned. Do you really think your children are going to get saved in that kind of upbringing? 
You see the you see you see how how heavy it becomes. Hey, I think there's a lot of compromising pastors right now that were raised in the truth. I think they have a genuine faith, but because they are so compromised, no one's getting saved under their ministries. They're not sharing the gospel. They're not defending the faith. And what's happening? All those behind them are falling into condemnation. You see why it's so important to contend for the faith? It's not just about this one person. We're talking about people that are influencing other people. What do we caution in the scriptures? Be not many masters or many teachers. Why? Because they have a greater condemnation. I need to be so careful, and it's such a grave thing. When I take the scriptures and I open them up and I teach you the word of God, there is a great judgment attached to that that I need to take seriously. This is not some, some flippant thing. So notice what it says. So it goes on. talking about. Uh, so we have the three examples of this destruction. The unbelievers that were in, uh, came out of Egypt, the angels that fell, and then Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 8, likewise, also these, back to the ones we're talking about, these that have crept in, um, these filthy dreamers. The word there for dreamers is the idea, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphorical picture of, of desiring something. Or, you know, you know, you might say, you know, what is your dream car? What are we talking about? Am I, am I I'm actually talking about, oh, I had a dream about this car. I'm saying this is something I'm desiring or I'm passionate about. And what's interesting is what it's talking about here, likewise, these filthy dreamers, they have, uh, they have these unclean or unhealthy desires. What does it say? What do they do? They defile the flesh. They defile the flesh. I, I, I'm kind of torn because I want to show you guys these clips I was talking about, but at the same time, I don't want to show you these clips I'm talking about. But these, these progressive preachers, so, so-called, and they're, they're twisting Scripture left and right. And, and it's a, it actually surprised me how much Scripture they get into to try to justify their sin and the things that they're teaching. But they're, they're, they're pushing all these, all these things. And, you know, to say that, that to, uh, um, um, what did I say earlier? Uh, um, drag, thank you. I was trying to think of the word drag. Drag is holy. Drag is holy? This came out of the mouth of one of these so-called ministers. Drag is holy. Um, you know, love is love. That was actually a statement in that uh, in that prayer I was telling you about, that they called God a non-binary something rather, and they said the end of it was love is love and and all this kind of stuff. And what are they doing? They're defiling flesh. What does it say there? It says um, um, these filthy dreamers they defile the flesh. This flesh that you and I live in, what, what are we doing? We're going against uh, nature and nature's God. They defile the flesh. Yeah, this is interesting, too. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Despise dominion. You know they hate authority structure? In fact, one of the very first authority structures they go against is God's very first institution that he had set up. What's God's first institution that he set up? Marriage. Uh, thank you for not saying family. It's actually the marriage. Family is a byproduct of the first institution. It's marriage. And God structured the marriage, did he not? And just as God is the head of Christ, how did he structure the marriage? Nobody wants to say it. The man is the head of the woman. Okay? Yeah, yeah, she, but she's the neck. So I'm going to let the joke go. Um God structured this thing, right? It doesn't mean that the, that the man is smarter than the woman. It doesn't mean any of these things. It's, it, 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 quite frankly, it goes back to creation, right? Same thing with these debates we're having about, you know, uh, I don't know if you heard about the, 
the whole thing with the Southern Baptist Convention. I was very pleased to hear the Southern Baptist Convention held what the Bible says and that uh, women are not to be uh, pastors in the church. God's already said that. I don't know why we have to vote on it. But anyways, um, uh, you know, with the direction the Southern Baptists have gone over the years, I was glad to see that, that they're standing, at least that area, on the Scriptures. But... Um, um, but he's given a structure. He's given this plan, right? He's given us uh, uh, even structures in society. Romans 13, right, talks about uh, the, the, the ministers, civil servants, if you would, they're ordained of God. Now, boy, I want to get into that one. Um, that does not mean that everyone who is in a position of authority is they, as a person, if you would, are following God. That idea of they are uh, ordained of God, that means they're under God's rule, God's leadership. And, and I want to say this, when they step outside of that, that's when you and I rebel. Okay, we'll get into that another time. You know, people say, you know, how can you as a Christian uh, uh, say that, uh, you know, the founding of America was godly because it was all rooted in rebellion? No, no, rebellion against tyranny is obedience to God. They had already stepped out of God's ordaining power. Right, God has given structure. When you step outside of it, uh, part of the part of the structure was there. Right, they are to bear the sword uh, for evildoers. You know, when it flips, guess what? They've stepped outside. Of. But anyways, think about the day and age we live in. We despise any kind of authority. We go against it. You put structure on. You put rules. And let me just say, if we're not careful, we kind of fight at this. Right? Even in even it's it's in our nature. Even as Americans, right? Well, the the the, the unique thing about the Great American Experiment was we made the individuals their own sovereigns sovereigns not not this uh, not the government not a king not you know however you want to tier that thing um, what does it say in our declaration of independence it says that they are to rule uh, what is it not rule um, they are what's the word that's used they derive their powers from the uh, with the consent I'm trying to think of the word I pretty much have it memorized, but I got to start from the beginning. <laughs> but uh, but the idea of you know that the that the government are the servants of the people, and they get their power with the consent of the governed, of us, right? Uh, you know, try to compare that to to monarchies over the years or or the different dictatorships and those kinds of things. And so as Americans, we say as soon as it starts looking like a dictatorship or as soon as it starts looking like control, I'm gonna I'm gonna bucket that, right? I'm gonna say nope. No, I'm going to push back. That's kind of in us a little bit. But what's interesting is when we look at the scriptures and we see what God has, has instructed us, it really, it, it's a humbling thing. For example, wives, you need to follow your husbands. Oh, that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, yeah, that's part of the curse. You know? But before you get too excited saying amen, men, we got to be careful on how we speak of the government. And those put in authority. And you see, this idea that we speak evil of, uh, of uh, despised dominion, speak evil of dignities, right? And, uh, and, and, and let me just say, this kind of direction, the very first authority we're really attacking is the one that is the ultimate authority. And that is the Word of God. When we start changing definitions and we start attacking things, you see, um, this is a very culturally relevant book of the Bible. And, uh, and what's happening is it is creeping. It's not just out there. It's not just at the pride parades or it's not just in all those things. Uh, churches are embracing these things. Several years ago, I think it was uh, probably, probably the year before we moved up here, there was a young man in our church, 17-year-old um, young man. He was having open heart surgery. 
and uh, I went with his family and stayed the night down there and and uh, was with them in the waiting room and praying uh, until their son came out of surgery and and uh, it was so awesome when he came out and we got to leave the hospital together and uh, um, uh, I remember we were driving through Los Angeles and there are all these beautiful old old church structures uh, you know the old architecture type buildings and uh, and church after church after church would have things like the rainbow flag being flown or um, some kind of language of inclusivity and uh, and you're just basically announcing to the whole world that we love sin and if you don't want to get rid of your sin you don't have to you can keep it just come here and um, uh, I'm just saying this is this is kind of the day the day that we live in. Um, verse number nine. Here's a great example. So so Jude's doing a great job. He kind of gives a warning, then he gives examples. And so here's an example of this whole thing of dominion and authority and structure. Michael, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil. Now the devil, I believe this. I, I think there's this is not something I can be definitive on, but I do believe there's an, there's a, a, a decent amount of evidence. I believe. Uh, the devil, when he was uh, when he was an angel, when he was uh, 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 Lucifer, that he was one of the archangels. That's that's my opinion. Okay, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it, but I do believe he was one of the archangels. Uh, in fact, it kind of makes sense if he was one of the archangels. The archangels are kind of the general over angels. Um, uh, I, I believe the scriptures speak clear of three. Some people try to say there's five. I think there's three. Again, my opinion, um, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, you have uh, Gabriel, who always shows up whenever there's a message to be given. Michael, who shows up whenever there's a war to be fought. And you have Lucifer. What was Lucifer's uh, uh, domain, if you would? Music. Ezekiel talks about him. He he had uh, he was. Um, to give glory, reflect glory to God. He had these beautiful gems in his body, and it would reflect the glory of God. And the problem is he looked and saw, wow, look how beautiful I am. Hey, with, with, when there's no light, those gems don't show anything. But when you're reflecting the light of God, yeah, I bet he looked incredibly beautiful. And he got lifted up with pride. But the Bible says he had pipes built into him in Ezekiel. Pipes. And, and uh, he was a very musical creature. Um, but when he was expelled out of heaven, how many angels got evicted with him? A third. Well, that would make sense if you have three archangels and each are over a third of the angels. Now, this is just me theorizing, just kind of, you know, for what it's worth. That's my thought. So if that theory is true, Michael, the archangel, I believe, would have been on a th same authority structure as the devil, if you would, as far as their own power. So what does Michael do? It says, it says he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring uh, against him a railing accusation. But said the Lord rebuke thee. Now that's interesting. Here's the devil put in a position of authority, if you would. Here's Michael the archangel. We have this battle of good and evil, so to speak. And what does Michael do? He does not attack him or bring a railing accusation against him. Uh, in a sense, it's almost respecting his authority position. What did we just talk about? Dominions, right? They, 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 they speak, they despise dominions and speak evil of, of dignities. And it says he doesn't bring a railing accusation against him. So instead, he says he appeals to a higher authority and says, The Lord rebuke thee. That's an interesting example that Jude gives. You see, appealing to a higher authority. By the way, you know, as believers, we have a higher authority. When we struggle with governments and we struggle with these things, we have a higher authority we can appeal to. That is an encouraging thing. But, uh, but, uh, but I find that very fascinating. He says, Does not bring a railing accusation. That's really convicting to me. 
You know how many times I've brought a rallying accusation against our president? Not, not nearly. I have not prayed for him nearly as much as I've criticized him. You see what I'm saying? That's convicting. Um, when my children were little, every single night when they said their nightly prayers, every single night, Jaden and Sadie would pray for the Obama salvation when they were in office. And every time I was convicted, I said, I don't pray for them that much. They prayed every night for their salvation. It blew me away. Somebody did something right with them. It wasn't me. So notice what it says, uh, verse 10. But these, this is interesting, speak evil of things which they know not. You know, unbelievers do that a lot, don't they? They speak evil of this book. They speak evil of things they know not. I saw, I saw another clip a while back. I need to stop watching these clips. Um, it was a guy showing all the contradictions in Scripture. And I just wanted to get in a debate with him because I was like, you completely misunderstand that passage. And, uh, you know, he's even he was quoting Jesus, contradicting the law and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was like, that is not at all what Jesus said. And, you know, I wanted to fight with him. But, um, <laughs> but I need to earnestly contend, not contentiously contend for the faith. Um, but uh, but it's interesting, interesting what happens with these people. They're speaking evil of things that they know not. Um, and, in, and on the contrary, they're embracing that which is evil. And so they speak evil things that they know not, but what they know, get this now, naturally in their human nature as brute beasts. The word there for brute beasts is, is the idea of, of animal-like. You know what it's saying? It's saying these people are, are, are living out in a very natural sense, right? This is humanism. This is me and my own judgment and my own understanding making these judgments. And by the way, think about who we are judging when we're attacking, attacking Scripture. Who are we putting on trial? We begin judging God. I tell you what, that's a scary. God, we know better. We know better than you. That's really what they're saying. They speak evil of things which they know not, and they're um, uh, brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Here we see that again, the corrupting of themselves. Now think about this. When we're attacking God's ways and God's word, uh, we are actually corrupting ourselves. This The Bible talks about, as believers, we're to be salt and light in this world. The Bible uh, has much to say about its, its preserving nature, the Scriptures, its cleansing nature of the Scriptures. When you are attacking it, what ends up happening? It, corruption. You go against that preserving nature, it, you, it's corruption happens. And our judgments get corrupted. And, and let me just tell you, that's why it is so important that we stay faithful in this book. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, either sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. It's so important that we stay close to it. When we start, we get away from this book, what starts happening is our minds start going that way. We start compromising some things. We start thinking in certain directions. And what, and what the natural process is, corruption starts to take place in our own souls. And you ever said this about someone who once was on fire for God, who maybe doesn't go to church anymore, or you know, maybe I think we all have people that we know in our lives, and say, what happened? There was some sort of corruption that took place. Somehow they believed a lie from the devil, making God the enemy, and now corruption has taken place. They were once on fire for God, now they want nothing to do with Him. They've turned from that, or you'll hear this statement, I used to be a Christian. What happened? That's a strange statement. I used to be a Christian. Theologically, I think it's an inaccurate statement, but, uh, but you have to ask yourself, what were you basing this thing on, and what was the, 
What was the driving force behind this? Was it because you, you were feeling good in church and there came a point where you weren't feeling good anymore? Or did you really actually understand the gospel? Um, uh, some, some questions worth asking. Let me give you a couple more examples and we'll stop. Verse number 11, woe unto them. Whenever you see woe in Scripture, it's kind of a, uh, a word of judgment, a word of caution. Woe unto them, judgment's coming. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now who is Cain in the Bible? It's amazing all the illustrations that Jude uses, isn't it? I'm sorry, son of Adam and Eve. Okay, what's he known for? Killing his brother. The first recorded murder in history. Right, killed his brother. Now, what was he? What was his issue? What did he kill Abel over? There's a great jealousy there, right? So here's Cain. Here's Abel. They both. I I, I personally believe. I think Brother Suter had mentioned uh, when he was with us that he believed that they were twins. I I, I would agree. I think there's some some textual evidence we can look at. Um, but uh, but. I, I believe what was happening was there was the uh, they both reached that age of accountability, that day of accountability, if you would, where they were going to bring a sacrifice before God. Now this is just it doesn't give us the details, so that's just kind of looking into it and saying maybe that's what's taking place. But they're to come before God, and it says they brought they came to a place. Uh, I think that they actually built a little, uh, uh, maybe it was a structure, a building, an altar of some sorts, and they come before God. You have Abel, he brings a blood sacrifice, and the Bible says that God was very pleased with Abel and his sacrifice. But it says of Cain that God was not pleased with his sacrifice, but also with him. That's interesting. He rejected him and his sacrifice, which is kind of interesting because, you know, what we like to say, well, you know, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. But can you really detach the two? Here he is bringing the sacrifice before God. Cain brought the fruit of the ground, and he, uh, I think in our estimate, he probably would have worked harder for it, cultivating the soil and, and doing all this stuff. And he brought this, this beautiful arrangement probably before God, probably the best fruits. Abel goes out, and what does he do? He kind of looks at his herbs and, ah, that one will do, grabs it. Comes over, cuts the throat, and presents it before God. And, you know, as far as time spent and things, you might say that, that, that Cain had a better offering. But it was a type of offering. Now, again, scriptures don't really paint it clear other than the, this fact that they had to have known, there had to have been an expectation of them. Bible, Bible points out all throughout scriptures, Old Testament through the New, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. And, and, uh, and Abel brought, brought that blood sacrifice, the innocent dying for the guilty, that the guilty might go free. That is the picture of the gospel. That is the picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross on your, on your behalf and my behalf. Cain was a picture of coming to God his way. He was genuine. Was he not? I believe he was. By the way, how about this? Cain talked to God. I'll take it a step further. God talked to Cain. God talked to Cain more than was recorded of him talking to Abel. God definitely talked to Cain more than he's talked to me audibly. Yet he rejected him. And he showed grace. He said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. You know what he's saying? Go get a blood sacrifice. Bring it back to me. But if not, sin lies out the door. Well, he was so jealous and so upset. He didn't want to submit to God. And in his pride and his rage, he goes out and kills his brother. So when it says this, they went the way of Cain, I believe what, what Jude's unpacking here is this. He approached God his way, his rules, 
This is good enough for you, God, even though God said otherwise. And so many people today, what are we doing? We're coming to God our way, even though God says otherwise. We're, we're doing this kind of worship and this kind of theology and this kind of practice and this kind. You see what I'm saying? Well, I, I have peace in my heart, so I think God's okay with it. How, how could God be okay with it, regardless of what your heart says, when it says right here in black and white? And sometimes red. <laughs> how can you go against that? And that's what they're doing. They're going the way of Cain. Notice this. They ran greedily after the way of Balaam. Who, how many of you remember Balaam? Who's Balaam in the Bible? We know of Balaam's donkey, right? What, what was that doing? What was he doing? He was a prophet for hire. The king wanted to pay him. Hey, if you would just prophesy against Israel, prophesy against them, pray against them, and he says, God's not going to hear that kind of thing. Oh, just, I'll pay you. Go ahead and do it. He did it. And, and, and he, God used his donkey to say, it's a bad idea. This is a bad idea. What was he doing? The gifts and the things that God gave to him, he was selling them to the world, selling them to the highest bidder. He was not using that for the Lord. He was using that there. Boy, if I, I could tell you story after story after story of people that God gave great talent to. What did they do? They gave it to the devil. They gave it to the devil. You know, people grew up singing in church. They're now famous pop stars. They rejected God. Um, we can go down the list. Um, but God gave you a gift. God gave you some things to use for his glory. Be careful with that. And then perish after the gainsaying of Korah. I like this one. Who's Korah in the Bible? What happened with Korah? Pop quiz. False fire? I think what he's talking about here... I'm sorry? They usurped authority. They were saying, Moses... Who gave you the authority? And Aaron, the high priest, who gave you guys the authority? Well, I could be the high priest, and I could be the leader, and challenging the authority, right? So Moses, humbly, it was amazing what Moses did. Because Moses could have done a lot of things. And he, had, he had followers, he had people, he had 70 elders around him that judged the people. He could have done all kinds of things. He could have had them arrested. He could have done all the things. You know what he did? He humbly went to God. Lord, if you chose me, by the way, he didn't ask for this position. He said that to God many times. <laughs> I didn't ask for this, Lord. They're your people. Lord, if I am sent from you, or, or if I'm not sent from you, let these people die a natural death. But if I am sent from you, let a new thing happen. Suddenly the ground began to move. Started to open up. The earth swallowed up these families. And by the way, it wasn't just the ones causing the problem. It was the families. You see, don't think you sin alone. And then it closed back up again. And I can just see Moses. Any other questions? What I'm saying is this, and I'm not going to use this passage to be like a lot of pastors. See, you got to listen to the man of God. I'm the man of God. You know, that kind of stuff. But what I am saying, this goes back to earlier, the dignitaries and the, the dominions and those kind of things. God gives us structure. We need to be careful that we don't have that heart of rebellion. You see? By the way, there are some things worth rebelling against. I'm not going to use the, the word rebellion is not disingenuous, but the idea of you don't blindly follow certain things. You don't blindly follow air. You don't blindly follow these certain men that crept in unaware, even if they're in a position of authority. You always follow the highest authority. But under that highest authority, just like Paul said, follow me even as I follow Christ, God gives some structure. Children, it's always right to follow your parents. You see? Wives, it's tough sometimes because he's a knucklehead. But you follow him as unto the Lord. You see? Husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a high order. And you better be sure you are following God. 
Because there is a greater condemnation on the leaders. That's heavy. By the way, ladies, when you're, you don't feel like your husband's making the right choice for following God, God knows how to get a hold of you. Just pray for him. Pray for him, encourage him, follow him. I'm out of time. I'd love to keep going through the whole book. It's such an awesome book of the Bible. But, um, but what a challenge in our culture, folks. Biblical Christianity is always counterculture. But the only way you and I are going to know what's right, the only way you and I are going to stand for what's right, and with the right heart attitude, earnestly contend for the faith, is if we stay so close to this book. Don't let it corrupt your soul because you bought into what's going on in the world around us. Don't let it corrupt your soul because, because, well, the TV, well, my friends, well, I have a family member, well, there's so many things that could draw us away. Stay close to the Word of God. Stay humble. And uh, we see all these tremendous warnings in Scripture. Um, uh, what a challenge for us as believers tonight. Why don't we have a word of prayer?